and they say that the first casualty of war is truth, that pandemic is in the same category. Today, being a journalist, you, you, you don't show necessarily that you are press. It's like going into a war zone. In Bulgaria, several reports of journalists being attacked despite clearly identifying themselves as members of the press. We started keeping track of journalists who were harassed for covering those protests, which would be part of a normal news gathering routine, of course. They are the fake, fake, disgusting news. My name is Rachel Jolly and welcome to Pod Academy, and this the second in our series on journalism during the pandemic. Worryingly, we're seeing the escalation of violence and aggression during this global pandemic as journalists literally battle to report on vital public interest stories. From physical attacks to attacks on journalists' reputations, to governments introducing new legislation putting limits on reporting, those that don't want journalists to report on an issue will try all sorts of measures to try and stop them, even threatening to try and infect them. These are terrifying trends. The pandemic appears to have allowed the powerful to gain more tools in their armoury when it comes to squeezing media freedom. William Horsley is co-founder and international director of the Centre for Freedom of the Media at the University of Sheffield's Department of Journalism. William is also a former television and radio journalist at the BBC. They say that the first casualty of war is truth. It turns out that pandemic is in the same category because what it does is it increases physical risk in many ways for journalists as they go about their business, particularly, for example, reporting on the lockdowns but also it gives uh, governments the reason to uh, assume much more executive power. And this happened against the background, of course, of a a shift towards a much more authoritarian style, particularly assaults against the uh, free and independent media. Lada Price, a senior lecturer in journalism from Sheffield Hallam University, talks about the way that this kind of emergency legislation brought in during the pandemic has been used in Eastern Europe to restrict what journalists can do. If you look at reports that have been um, issued by organisations such as Freedom House, uh, Committee to Protect Journalists, Reporters Without uh, Borders, they have um, raised alarm about emergency measures that have restricted the media freedom severely. Let's take, for example, a Eastern European country such as Hungary, where at the onset of the pandemic, the government introduced laws or rule uh, by decree indefinitely bypassing parliament and that is known as the authorization act and that included actually prison term from one to five years for those and that could include journalists that spread misinformation and falsehood. It's not just in eastern Europe that governments have used COVID-19 to pass laws to restrict freedom of the press. By June of uh, 2020 the Reporters Without Borders was reporting that half The UN member states had already enacted emergency laws which were endangering free speech. At the end of the year, the UN Secretary General himself said that there was a pandemic of misinformation and that although the role of journalists was much more important because of the need for good information about the pandemic, in fact, media had been more subjected to restrictions and, of course, punishments been a trend in recent years in all parts of the world for governments to undermine the very role, the essence of the role of journalists as watchdogs holding governments to account. And that was exacerbated massively in this time.
all, all the governments that you would expect that have already exceeded their normal powers, although they may be democratic elected, like in Philippines or Turkey and so on, all of them have seized this opportunity to crack down even further. And we've seen in every continent, we've seen this criminalization of the work of the media. And we've seen journalists more exposed to arbitrary action, both in terms of, for example, law enforcement attacks the street during protests, and also this business of bringing charges against them on spreading false information and so on. And quite a number of them, I mean, Ru Russia, Azerbaijan, Romania are among them, have already indicated that these are going to be very long term. And in the case of Italy, for example, they have sweeping powers, which they've already contemplating extending to the end of 2021. I think it's a matter of the balance of executive power, this meme, of course, that is bound to come up. And we saw it in extremes in places like China and America with the different political systems. In China, from the very beginning, we saw the, the government moving to suppress the information about it with the doctor who first blew the whistle being criminalized and then several citizen journalists again being charged, one of them being given a six-year jail sentence for just going around reporting what was happening at the beginning of the pandemic. So if that kind of excessive power of the executive over the other branches of government and the media, the fourth estate, were to continue, that clearly would be disastrous. So why is there growing hostility to the media coming from all directions at a time when it is essential to hold the powerful to account? Richard Sambrook, a former director of Global News at the BBC and now director of the Centre for Journalism at Cardiff University, explains. One of the problems is that it's very difficult in an increasingly polarised environment, uh, which you're getting in all sorts of countries around the world now, to say, but I'm neutral because everyone says, well, either you're with us or against us. And if you're not with us, you're the enemy. And the media is seen as not being with one side or the other, and therefore is everybody's enemy. And at a time when there's a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty, then it's very easy to provoke people to turn on a perceived enemy in that way. The other thing that's happened is that authoritarian um, governments have used co the cover of the pandemic, if you like, to bring in more restrictive press freedom laws and controls over the media and so on as well. So it's a, a sort of political opportunism, really. And then there were arguments about fake news. People were worried about what fake news can do and how people can be affected. And that, unfortunately, gave an excuse to government to put even further um, restrictions. The danger is that it even true facts can be deemed as fake news and alternative viewpoints, for example, from opposition leaders that perhaps challenge the government decision or even medical professionals that don't quite fit that official line or the line and policies governments um, are adopting can be labelled as, as fake news. Of course, Donald Trump regularly used the term fake news to try and close down journalism he didn't like. Kirsten McCudden, managing editor of the US Press Freedom Tracker, has been keeping a record of Trump's attacks on the media. The one thing here at the US Press Freedom Tracker that we keep in addition to our database of press freedom violations is the Trump Media Tweet database. And that's a database tracking all of President Donald Trump's 
anti-media tweets since he declared his candidacy for presidency in 2015. We published on the database one month before the election, and by then he had tweeted negatively about the press 2,300 times. So we keep that database, not because it's a fun thing for our reporter to scan each and every one of the president's tweets, but because we believe it has a chilling effect. All of these factors have combined to make reporting the news a dangerous business during the pandemic. A large survey found that a lot of journalists were not provided with uh, protective equipment, so it's difficult to go out and actually speak to sources in person. And those sources are worried about retaliation, the measures that will be actually imposed on them. In the early days, there was uncertainty around how to best news gather during COVID. Newsrooms were closed. Media in America is considered as essential personnel, but many newsrooms out of safety precautions closed down and journalists have been working remotely. Some governors like New York's Andrew Cuomo received accolades for daily press briefings, taking live questions. Others, for example, in Florida, the governor was asked by a Miami Herald reporter to modify the daily briefing, the briefings for social distancing. And that reporter was then barred from the next briefing because of that request. We started keeping track of journalists who were harassed for covering those protests, which would be part of a normal news gathering routine, of course, but wearing masks while doing it. So everything from being threatened to be coughed on, you know, oh, I have coronavirus, I'm going to cough on you. That's a threat. And in some states can actually be considered assault because when you say you have a communicable disease and threaten to give it to somebody else, it can be considered assault. We often saw it as in, in a harassment scene. We saw Journalists being called fake news, saying that they were fear-mongering because they wore masks to these protests. Of course, in America, masks became a political statement, and that is a little different from other countries because from the top of our government, you know, the President Donald Trump often didn't wear a mask and, and told others not to. Egged on by government attitudes, some of the attacks have been very serious indeed. The pandemic specific assaults that we have documented here at the Press Freedom Checker have both come when journalists are covering lockdown protests. So that's against shelter-in-place orders, not for them, but against them. And uh, in one in California, a man was held a journalist at knife point over the footage that he took at this at this shelter-in-place in California. In another one in New York, so it is coast-to-coast, a journalist was assaulted while covering an anti-lockdown protest. The borough of Brooklyn had been under higher restrictions in other parts because it had a higher rate of infection and positivity rate, and the journalist was assaulted there as well. For many reporters, this really is a hostile environment. Here's Jean-Paul Matus, who teaches media and terrorism studies at the Université Catholique de Louvain in Belgium. The trend that we have seen rising in the last years. Today, being a journalist, you, you, you don't show necessarily that you are oppressed. It's like going to a war zone. Journalists have told me, you know, when I go to a war zone, like in Mosul, for instance, two years ago, I decided to take off my press flag jacket and take a military flag jacket because I thought it was safer to be a soldier than a journalist in a war zone. So it's a bit similar. I think there's been so much media bashing that today 
absolutely respectable media organizations think that they, they might be under threat if they are too visible, which is really a big issue. There are some newsrooms who have decided to stop wearing lanyards, have their journalists stop wearing lanyards. That's a press pass badge around their necks while covering protests, because in some areas, that's actually more dangerous to have something around your neck that can be pulled, that can be tugged. It's really an issue of concern for democracy. The fact is that the COVID crisis has opened up the doors of still more confusion and still more room for conspiracy theories. And in those circles of conspirationists, of course, the online world is not a world of dialogue and discussion, and it's a world of of aggression, up to the point of uh, pushing journalists not to cover the story because it's too hot. 